I will lift up mine eyes into the hills from whence cometh my help. My help cometh from the Lord which made heaven and earth. He will not suffer thy foot to be moved. He that keepeth thee will not slumber. Behold, he that keepeth Israel shall neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is thy keeper. The Lord is thy shade upon thy right hand. The sun shall not smite thee by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord shall preserve thee from all evil. He shall preserve thy soul. The Lord shall preserve thy going out and thy coming in from this time forth, even forever more amen now i know that probably it's a tendency we have to uh, especially those that have been around church a long time you when you hear the scripture read you think well i know where he's going because he's preached that before please don't presume anything about that tonight because this scripture was just a launching place for me and i want to uh, from from this title where my help comes from where my help comes from Clap your hands to the Lord and shout with a voice of triumph and you may be seated in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Love to you all and I know I always say it, but the truth of the matter is I always mean it. Even when, even when I'm exasperated and aggravated and frustrated, it doesn't change love. When I go to the store for Sister Howington and bring the wrong thing home, and, and she fusses at me. Just kidding, folks. She's never, she's, uh, uh, I, can, I can count uh, uh, on this hand with some fingers left over any time she's ever uh, 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 been anything but just like the queen of Sheba to me. Amen. That's the truth. And she thinks the same thing about me. <laughs> not, not really. But if I can't, I'm going to try not to be too long tonight, but if I can't, uh, if I can't keep that promise, I'm going to try not to be boring anyway. Amen. The year was in 1871, and there was a young man who was a medical student at Montreal General Hospital, and he was about ready to get through with his uh, work and in, in studying medicine, and he was worried about his future, and he was worried about the decisions, where he would go and how he would work and what he would do to make a living and how it would all pan out for him. And that young man picked up a book one day, and that book that he picked up, uh, he read 21 short words, and those 21 short words impacted his whole life from that day forward with such profundity of impact that it absolutely made him the man that he was. That man, that young man later went on to organize the John Hopkins chain of medical facilities. He became the Regis Professor of Medicine at Oxford University, which is the highest medical honor that the British Empire could bestow upon a man. At his death, it took two huge volumes, 1,466 pages to tell the story of this young man. This young man's name was Sir William Osler. The words that he read were by the poet-writer Thomas Carlyle, and this is what he read that day. He read, Our main business is not to see what lies dimly at a distance, but to do that which lies clearly at hand. It may seem strange to some considered our emphasis on eternity, but honestly, eternity is just one heartbeat away. 
Eternity is just one blink of the eye. We, we, we put a lot of emphasis on heaven and eternity. But you know the truth of the matter is if we believe that when we got born again, we became part of the eternal kingdom of God, then eternity's already started for born again people. The only thing that's going to change is the dynamic of the flesh and the relationship with God that's involved in that. And statistically speaking, most everybody that, I, that, that we preach to is going to go out into eternity exactly as they are right now. As a statistic. I know that, that that's, not, that's not discounting the fact that the Holy Ghost can take a man's life and turn it around. My dad was 76 before we baptized him in Jesus' name. He died uh, uh, just a few months short of 89. And until he got sick from the day he got baptized until the day he died, he never missed church again. Statistics say that when a man passes 70, that only one out of 770,000 ever make a spiritual change. So when my dad got the Holy Ghost and got baptized in, at age 76, he literally became one in a million. He was already one in a million to me, but he literally became one in a million. So in light of such things as that, we need to be really sure about what we are doing right now. Because right now is a great prognosticator of whatever we will be and wherever we will end up in eternity. Right now is one of the greatest predictors of eternal things for us. Turn to your neighbor, give them a high five, and say, Neighbor, whatever you do, don't get distracted. Whatever it takes... Whatever we need to do or whatever it is that we need to not do or stop doing, we must stay on focus, on message in this late and crucial hour that we're living in. I've been around the world to many parts of the planet. I haven't seen everywhere, but I've seen a lot of places that a little old boy from grew up on Hope Street in Wisner didn't even know, didn't even suspect nothing until I was grown, much less know anything. But I have had such opportunity in my years of being a preacher. I told my wife uh, on many a time we'd be standing uh, looking out of a hotel room in Manila across uh, a city of 12 million people. I say, you know, only the Holy Ghost could have got us from Wisner to here. I know we used an airline to get there, but it was only the Holy Ghost that could have ever facilitated this. When I served communion and, and preached in, in Gordon, at Gordon's tomb where, they, where tradition says the body of Jesus was buried in Jerusalem, I, I couldn't help but be overwhelmed with the idea that only the Holy Ghost from heaven could have ever facilitated that little old countryfied boy who, who didn't know anything to get to go. And do those things. Now that does not make me a sophisticate. That's not what I'm trying to say. But I've been around too many parts of this planet. And all nations have big, massive, somewhere in their nation, they have big, massive, huge cities and populations. And all of those cities, all of those places, no matter how third world and backward their hinterlands might be, they have state-of-the-art dynamic, at least to some degree, in their, in their places. Bangkok, Manila, Mexico City, Tokyo, Hong Kong, Tel Aviv. Sao Paulo just to name a few but in America the distinction 
that makes America different than all of those other places that you know that I've traveled to and you've heard me talk about and tell about and all like that. The thing about America that makes it so distinctly different, and this is going to sound a little bit social and a little bit political, but if you'll just bear with me and don't get bored and don't get distracted until I get through, amen. What makes America different is that America is the only nation that I've ever seen that has such an expansive group of people that are not the super wealthy nor the super poor, but they're a huge place in between the ultra-rich million, multi-millionaire billionaires and those that are dirt poor. There's a huge group of people that in Western society and culture we call the middle class. The largesse and the ease of life, the luxury of most of the citizenry of the Western cultures, and especially America, nothing, nowhere else that I've ever seen and that I've ever been able to study or read about compares with America. America is the only place that I've ever seen and known where you could be considered poor but have a, a, a climate-controlled house with a, with a freezer and a pantry full of food and a car out in the driveway and a color television set and, in and, a, and a phone in your pocket and, a, and free medical care and, and, and absolutely nothing that you needed to exist comfortably was withheld from you. America's the only place that lives like that, folks. And you say, well, what are you, what are you getting at? I know that this may seem like I'm piggybacking off some of the things that pastor has been preaching, but I do believe that I have heard from God. And remember what I just said about this is the only place. Western culture, Western Europe uh, is, is, is fading fast, folks. And that leaves America on the cutting edge, the avant-garde of whatever is going to take place. The reason that God has left America here like it has, T.W. Barnes said this many years ago, and I absolutely concur with this. Brother T.W. Barnes said the reason that God has raised up America is because we have the physical, financial, and spiritual resources to take and propagate the gospel to the world. Don't ever mistake the idea that America, because of uh, uh, baseball apple pie, and Chevrolet is going to be forever the pinnacle of our world. That is a fallacy that we must not and cannot get distracted into believing. I love America. I love what we stand for. But patriotism is not the same thing as loyalty to God. Having a good job and taking care of our families is not the same thing as faithfulness to God and to His house. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. In prayer on Monday, I always, by the way, bring this church family. And if I know there's something specific going on in your life, I, I, I usually bring that. But I always bring this church family collectively uh, 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 to the presence of the Lord. Amen. Uh, 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 the universal church and the local church. I pray about the church in the earth, which is all of God's book of Acts believers. And, and, and then I bring the local church. And the Lord spoke something to me. And, and please let me just give my thought. And if you, if you want to help me, it'll be fine. But it's the truth whether you help me or not. Amen. And I'm not, I'm not uh, 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 intimidated. And, and I'm not, and I'm not going to be uh, 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 feel bad if 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 people just listen intently, 
and, and don't give me any kind of uh, feedback, but feedback is always appreciated. The Lord spoke to me Monday as I walked through the fields of Frogmore, and He said, my people are not suffering from discouragement. I said, Lord, I said, what do you mean? He said, my people are not suffering from discouragement. My people are suffering from distraction." I said, Lord, I don't know if I understand what you mean. So I prayed a little further. And he began to remind me of some things. He took me all the way back to the beginnings. The first mentioned principle of studying the Bible is always a good thing to do. Go all the way back and see if what God is saying to you can find its contextual relevance throughout the Word of God. If it is, then you know you got a good word. If it's just some little bean dream, some uh, silly idea that like, Jesus loves popcorn, well, that's not, you know, that's not the Bible. Just throw that kind of stuff away. He might have did like popcorn if he'd had access to it, but that's not even the point. But when you find it, all the way through the Word of God, amen, and, and he said, the, my people do not suffer from discouragement. My people suffer from distraction. And I said, Lord, help me. And I began to pray further. He said, Satan was the most subtle of all the beasts. Can I get an amen? Could Adam and Eve have been discouraged? Could they have, uh, Think about that for just a second. Let that soak in. Is it possible that Adam and Eve could have been discouraged in paradise? They knew nothing but absolute contentment. And there was no place for them to go to compare anything going on with anything else. Could they have been discouraged? After all, it was paradise. There was nothing lacking. Before the fall, they didn't even worry about death, Sister Michelle. There was no sickness, was no disease. Was nothing happening that could have moved them off of the paradigm of the relationship because they became discouraged. So discouragement. And oftentimes we say pray for so and so. They're so discouraged. Discouragement is the fruit of something, not the cause of things. Could they have been discontented? There was no other paradigm of life for them to compare themselves to. It's right there in my notes. They got ahead of me there just a moment ago. There is no paradigm in paradise. There is nothing to compare it to to say, well, I think I would like this better because there was no this. There was only Him. That's the reason when the Jews pray still to this day, those one God Jewish people who've not accepted Messiah yet, but when they pray, they say, Lord, there's only you. Because it is the only paradigm that life is supposed to have. There were no Joneses to keep up with. There was no social media to always let you know how much cooler and successful and accepted and liked someone else was more than you. Obviously, Satan's subtlety was very subtle. He did not jump up 
from behind the bush one day and scream and charge at, at Eve, that would have scared the bejeebers out of her. If you want to be subtle and convince somebody, what you don't do is scream and run at them and scare them half to death. So I know he was not acting satanic as we think of it. He was not acting satanic when he approached her. Most apparently, he had engaged her often enough and in thought and conversation, he had engaged her in an ongoing fashion often enough and long enough that he got her to thinking and considering what he was saying concerning the tree of good and evil. Does that make sense to you? The purpose of the garden, the purpose of the cool of the evening was for a very singular idea. The Bible didn't say they came there and, and put burgers on the grill. It didn't say that they came there and all got together and ordered out pizza and played pinochle or canasta, or bridge. It says that very singularly that the garden of paradise and the God who had created it and the creatures he had put in it were in that place and in that position and in that dynamic of relationship for one reason and that reason was to be in communion with God. The Lord spoke on about that that thing Monday to me and he said discouragement and discontentment did not lead to the fall the Lord said it was not that they were discouraged nor discontented he said those two things it was impossible for them to have led to the fall he said it was distraction that led to the fall now I don't know if you understand Revelation or not, but you're hearing Revelation tonight. And I'll let the book validate whether or not I'm telling you the truth or not. And, 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 and as I proceed, you can tell me. You see, it was not discouragement and discontentment. They are the fruits of something, not the cause of something. It was only when Eve took her eyes off of her original purpose and the original plan for her that these other things found traction in her spirit. She got distracted by the subtlety of a voice and through that distraction that she allowed into her life, the, uh, a subtle deception and corruption crept in and began to find traction in her spirit. She allowed herself to be distracted from the preeminence of God. And when she did, that's when everything began to unravel and unfold. I am not meaning negativity in any measure tonight. I am not meaning futility nor fatalistic thought here tonight. But Western American culture, listen to me now so that you don't, so that you don't go home discontented and discouraged. I'm, play, I'm playing with you now. Listen closely. Don't, don't get distracted about something and, and, and miss what I'm saying here. 
I'm not trying to be negative, but Western culture, most specifically American society, is losing the cultural battle for morality and decency. America is losing the battle for morality and decency. You don't think so? When well, uh, I, I'm a product of the 50s. I came of age in the 60s. I saw the summer of love. I saw JFK's assassination. I saw Martin Luther King's assassination. I saw Robert F. Kennedy's assassination. I saw the war in Vietnam every evening on the evening news. I saw the man on the moon. And most of you that are from my generation, you saw all those things too and you remember all of those things. When was, that, when was it that we started having politicians get up and say the most nasty and vulgarest word that they can think of into the microphone to describe each other and our president? When did that start? It started when a degeneracy began to set in because people got distracted and no longer was the, the beauty and the purity and the preeminence of Almighty God considered when they opened their stupid mouths. And I know that doesn't sound very polite, but that's exactly how I feel. Can I just, can I just reminisce a little bit for you? When I was a boy, when me and Brother Willie were boys, a young man say that, that particular word in mixed company, the first the first old, uh, 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 old daddy that got to him would knock him a winding. And your daddy wouldn't say nothing about it. If, you, if he wouldn't told your daddy what you said, then when your daddy got a hold of you, he'd make it look like Christmas what that other man did. I got a spanking many a time and got sent home from going down the street and misbehaving at somebody else's house. And we were just little old kids, innocent kids. But uh, uh, if you got down there and you got to fighting over the football game, the parents just grab a switch and whip you and send you home. Am I right, Brother Willie? They just whip you and send you home. We don't do that anymore. Praise God. Politicians, government, let's just say government, media, Hollywood, even sports, they are all in collusion to bully and to pressure us and the future generation of my children and their children and your children and your grandchildren into relinquishing our perspectives about God and the gospel and eternal things. They just want to vilify and bully and persecute and revile to the point where some people just say, I'm so tired of being ridiculed and name called. I'm so tired of having to get up every day and put my feet on the ground and throw my head in the air and look them straight in the eye and say, I got my foot on the rock. I'm getting weary of that. I've, uh, you know what that tells me? That tells me that we have let the voices of the enemy distract. And I'm not talking, I'm not, pre, I'm not fussing at POML, I'm talking to America. I'm talking to the supposed Christian church in the Western world. 
The malaise that America is suffering from will not be remedied by putting our brains on autopilot cloistered away somewhere in a dark room in cyberspace. And by the way, conservatives and liberals and Republicans and Democrats, they don't have the answers either. I heard one man say the difference between a socialist and a communist was a socialist was too stupid to know he was a communist. Amen. Yeah, Margaret Thatcher said the problem with socialism is eventually you run out of everybody else's money. But you know what? That's lost on this generation because before I could tell them that, I had to explain to them who Margaret Thatcher was. I won't ask you how many of you know who Margaret Thatcher was. Conservatism with its Republican form of government. By the way, we don't have a democracy in America. I'll give you a little civics lesson. We have a representative republic. And a republic by definition means that the good of the many outweighs the good of the individual. Which means that sometimes we just have to suck it up for what's best for everybody. And we have drifted so far off of that. Everybody's offended. Everybody's triggered. Well, when I was a kid, we was triggered too. That was Roy Rogers' horse and we'd get out there on that saw horse and act like we was being triggered. Conservatives with their Republican form of government and their free market economy is not the answer in and of itself. And a Republic form of government and a free market economy has done more to lift people out of poverty and, spirit and, and, and ignorance and darkness than anything in the history of the human race as far as societal things are concerned. That's right. People ain't, people ain't clamoring to get into Beijing tonight, are they, son? They're not, clamoring to, they're not clamoring and storming the walls of Moscow, are they? Let us in. Please let us in. Uh-uh. If you wonder what's the best nation in the world, look at the one that we're having to fight fiercely to keep it from being overrun. 100,000 people this past month. But neither is the answer socialism and communism with the idea that government should own and control everything. Neither of those things has an answer for us tonight. Because both are full of, are you ready? Both of those things are full of distractions. First of all, they're being propagated upon us by people who are corrupt and don't want anything but power and money. I don't care what they, whether they got an R or a D or an S or a C or whatever behind their name. They are, it is being driven by the fact that, that, that they love money and power. Now, you might say, well, Brother Harrington, that's just not for you to say. Jesus spoke out very passionately about the corruptions that he saw in the society around him. Because he knew that those corruptions 
unabated and unchecked and not making his people aware, his followers aware of it, would cause them to be subject, subject to the distractions that would come against them. There's no reason to think that because we have Pentecostal appearance and Pentecostal doctrine and we have one God theology that we will be passed over with the distractions. We're going to have to decide whether we're going to uh, 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 hear them and listen to them and be affected by them or not. For over a generation now, our secular society has tried to distract us with the idea that government can be God. Folks, whenever a society starts uh, propagating and purporting that the government can be the end all. You sick, you go to the government. You hungry, you go to the government. You get, uh, 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 you lazy, you go to the government. Well, hello, it's still true. I didn't even look when I said that. I just looked over here at the wall. Folks, anything that distracts and turns us away from the preeminence of God is idolatry. Plain and simple. God is not for it, Pastor. God is not pleased with this government is God mentality and this being offended about everything and demanding my rights. When did ser- we're, we're the servants of God. When did servants get to stand up and on their hind legs and bark about being offended? Servants serve. My Lord, I'm now I'm gonna step off in it right now, but please listen to me. There are things going on in our culture, and I believe they're legitimate. I uh, uh, I still remember when they started diagnosing children with ADD and ADHD. And they started designating, uh, diagnosing people uh, that had been in some sort of traumatic experience like first responders or policemen or, mil- or, or military people that had been in contact with, uh, with PTSD. You say, well, you don't believe in all that? Oh, oh yeah, I, I absolutely, I believe it's true. I, I, I absolutely believe it's true. I've watched it, and it is a very real thing. Now, when I was a boy, I'm going to harken back again, there were some kids in our classroom that couldn't pay attention if you put them on a salary. They didn't know whether they was going to eat the color cranes first or the paste. But you know what they did to them back then? They took the Board of Education and applied it to the seat of learning. And it rained them in somewhat. Yeah, I've I've been living with somebody that constantly, it's like, squirrel, squirrel. And, yeah. Brother Cornwell will openly tell you, man, I'm just so ADD, I can't hardly function. 
Is all of that stuff is all of that stuff real? Emphatically, yes, it's real. But seeing those things have only a re- oh, oh Lord, I'm gonna get in trouble. Those things only started being diagnosed and 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 claimed to be a real thing in about the last 25 or 30 years. Prior to that, can anybody that was in elementary school in the 50s and 60s remember ADD or ADHD? If you was was troublemaker, the teacher just wore you out. If that didn't go, that didn't do any good, they'd send you to the principal and he'd call your parents, they'd come up there and wear you out and if that didn't do any good, they'd send you home. Now, when my dad came home from the war, am I boring, y'all? My dad sir, uh, uh, had never seen nothing but 40 acres of clods and the backside of a mule till he was 24 years old. And in the spring of 1942, after December 7, 1941, Pearl Harbor, they trained him. All three of his brothers left within nine. He and his two brothers left within nine days. One's buried in a military cemetery in Belgium, never came home. The other one stayed stateside. And old uh, uh, Papa Howington went down to the Mariana Islands, uh, 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 deep in the South Pacific. And there he served on an army base where the Enola Gay flew in its, its uh, uh, mission over Hiroshima and Nagasaki from that base where he was. He saw one of those big super fortress uh, uh, bombers. I don't know if it was a 17 or a 29. One of them had a B in front of it, B-17, B-29. Crash landed sideways across the runway. Rick blew up and exploded, and men started running out of it on fire. Little old old boy from from Baskin, brother, Doyle ain't never seen nothing but but an old wore-out, backside of old wore-out mule. Sharecropper's son. Wired his shoes together with haywire because they didn't last all year long and the soles fell off of him and he tied them together with haywire. And he goes out there and that's what he sees. And when he come home, he was kind of he was kind of uh, uh, amped up. And he started drinking whiskey. And he realized if I start drinking this whiskey every day to, to settle me down, I'm going to be in worse shape than I'm in. So he went to the doctor and the doctor said, well... He called him Clarence. That was his name. He said, well, Clarence, he said, I'm going to tell you something. He said, that whiskey is not the answer. He said, but I can give you some pills, and those pills will help you. He said, but they're only going to help so much. He said, about 95% of it is you just deciding to change the way you think about it. And my daddy was a real uh, eloquent man. He cussed real big and said, well, if 95% of it's me, then you can just keep your blankety-blank pills then. And you know what he did? He beat that by deciding that he was not going to let the things that he'd seen and done distract his life so that it absolutely shaped his reality. But we see that in the last 25 or 30 years, it must be at least, it must be at least in part the fact that in the last 25 or 30 years, there's been thousands of distractions that have exploded into society and on our world. 
But I don't believe and I have not come to the conclusion that we need to throw up our hands in frustration or futility. I don't feel desperate and though my body may get weary, my spirit tonight is still on the mountaintop. I'm still looking for a city whose builder and maker is God. The church must never allow our being here. Listen to me, I'm, I'm going to help you. Now, I told you I was going to try to help us. And I know you're not screaming and shouting, even though it is good screaming, shouting, preaching. Amen. We must never let the house of God become an event. And I'm going to expound on that a little while so you'll understand what I'm saying. Event-oriented church totally turns the nature of what it's supposed to be about inside out. Church must and is and must always be not about an event, but about a relationship. If it stays as it should be, a relationship, then what day it is and what person is preaching and what season of life it is and what songs they sing, none of that is the issue. The relationship is the issue. What day it is, whether it's winter, spring, summer, or fall, whether it's midweek, Sunday morning, Sunday night, revival service, none of that matters as long as we hadn't got distracted and got to thinking that church is an event instead of a relationship. It's a distraction. When we start thinking that it's a relationship, she said, well, you can, can you prove that? Absolutely, I can prove that. You know how I can prove it? I can say, all right, next month. Now, this is not for those of you that are fixing to get giddy. This is not true. I'm making a, this, this, is a, this is an analogy. Brother Lee Stone King's going to be uh, here for, for, for three nights at the end of next month. Now, he's not going to be, okay? I, I, okay? Not that I know of. But if I said that, and we started putting it on the internet and we started mailing out flyers, we'd have 900 people here. You know why? Because, and, and this is not to denigrate our, our, our Brother Stone King. He's one of the most powerful and one of the sweetest, nicest men. You wouldn't want to get on his bad side, but he's one of the sweetest, nicest men that you'd ever want to meet. One of the greatest Christian gentlemen and scholars, a gentleman and scholar that I've ever known. One of the most insightful and prophetic men that I've ever known. So I'm not denigrating his ministry, but I'm telling you, if we promoted that thing, we could have 900 people here. The, 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 both risers would be full and every seat in the house would be full and there'd be some, some overflow up there in the, in the overflow seating upstairs. Because we've had it happen before. The night he was, that last night, uh, night he was here before, we had 900 people in the house. You know what that tells me? That tells me that there's a whole lot of people out there that's looking for an event to attend. I talked to an evangelist that talks to a lot of people that have decided that this old path holiness message that we preach, pastor, is not good anymore and they don't want to do it anymore and they threw it all away so that they could draw a big crowd. And you know what they all report? They all report two things. They say, number one, if you don't keep an event before the charismatic world's mind and eyes, they won't show up. And when they do, they won't support it with their finances. 
Something happens when we get distracted and start thinking of the house of God and the things of God as an event instead of a relationship. Something begins to happen on the inside of us. The moment that Eve let the enemy distract her, the significance and importance and urgency of being with God shifted. The shift was subtle, but it was very real. It moves from God-centered to humanity-centered. The opening up of the opportunity for emotions and feelings of humanity to weigh in. Not because we needed to be here for God, but all of a sudden we predicate our decisions about faithfulness and commitment and support and all of that to how we feel about it. That's what happens when we get distracted and we start thinking of the house of God as an event instead of a relationship. There is, a, a, can, I, can I help you now? I I'm, 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 I'm promise you, just give me about five more minutes. There is no end to the scope and the distance of how far carnal flesh can carry you away from the right perspective. It will, it's never satisfied. Making sure to be steadfast against distractions is our first line of defense. I won't be distracted. Oh, it's Wednesday night? Oh, well, uh, it's Wednesday night? Well, I won't be at the ballpark on Wednesday night. I won't be, and I, never, I know everybody's got to have vacations and time off. I'm not, I'm not preaching against vacations and time off, nothing like that. But I won't be cutting the grass because it was a nice spring day when it comes time to be at the house of God. I don't care if the fish are volunteering and jumping in the boat. Or if that deer standing out there, when I pull up with a sign around his neck, says, shoot me first. Ain't no such thing. There's enough money to corrupt my relationship or distract me and cause my relationship to become muted and dulled and calloused. And desensitized. Oh, I got to have this because being born again entails at least some measure that we must be restored to the original intent and purpose. That's what born born again means. It means we get to go back and start at the beginning again. And at the beginning of things, uh, uh, they weren't distracted and and, and they weren't discontent and they weren't discouraged. No matter how or who or what or how distorts and corrupts, it doesn't. Ha- it shouldn't happen to born again people. Truly living the born. I'm gonna hurry. Truly living the born again life becomes difficult and onerous and burdensome when it loses its dynamic of being the motivation that I come to the house of God because I love Jesus. Y'all, Paul, Paul can't give you enough tradition to make you not feel burdened down by this sometime or another. Unless it's a relationship. An event mindset strengthens the compelling to support with finances. And, uh, excuse me, the, the event mindset strengthens the compelling not to support with finances and attendance and participation. 
whenever we start thinking of it as an event, well, if, it, if it's an event, if I don't go, what difference does it make? It was there for me, and I just decided not to partake. Those that, are, those that did go, they can carry it on without me. That ain't the way the church is supposed to work. Like it was some civic event, like it was a, 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 a Disney on ice or something like that, and I just didn't want to go. There'll be another event next Sunday. I'll go then if I feel like it. There'll be another event next Wednesday. If I don't want to go, I just won't go. And, and, and what begins to happen is an erosion of your commitments to financial support, an erosion of your commitment to, to attendance. Your mindset begins to change because we got distracted into thinking it was about us instead of God. Am I making any sense, Sister Harrington? It can be ruinous to your salvation and your experience with God to start getting distracted. What makes us lazy spiritually is when we think it's an event. Because if it's an event, it's just whether or not I want to be there. Events make us, oh Lord, this is a good one and I'm, I'm hurrying to a close. When church becomes an event then it gets weighed in the balance against other events. And then we, then we find church competing with everything else that we have the option and the opportunity to do. And in a society that's so full of ease of life and luxury and, and financial largesse that we are, when you put church in the balance on this side and anything else in the world that you want to do on the other side, then you are allowing church to have to compete with worldly things for your affections. And God hadn't changed a bit. He thinks it's about Him. And if you decide it's not about Him, He knows. But with all that said, I have not come to the conclusion it's time to, to be frustrated or, or full of futility. I don't feel desperate. My body might be older than it once was. My spirit is still on the mountain. I will lift up mine eyes unto the hills. You see, what, what was David saying? David said, there's a whole lot of stuff going on. Uh, there, uh, if I look out that window, there's old Bathsheba over there. Hmm. Hmm. Saul tried to kill me. Bathsheba tried to seduce me. Absalom tried to kill me. Doeg threw dirt and rocks at me. He said, but I decided instead of looking at all that stuff and getting distracted, he said, I decided I'm going to lift up my eyes to the hills. I'm going to get my eyes back on what they're supposed to be on. Amen. In the year that King Uzziah died, Isaiah said, I also saw the Lord high and lifted up. He said, things were falling apart. My king was dying. The kingdom was falling apart, falling into, uh, into reprobation and, 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 and despondency. He said, but I saw the Lord. 
Amen. Can I tell the church in America, can I tell POML in 2019, the key to all of this is to understand that the Lord wants to help us not to be distracted in this hour. Amen. Abraham looked for a city. Moses suffered affliction with the people of God rather than sin for a season. Joseph would not go to Potiphar's wife because he said it would be a sin against my God. Elijah stared down the prophets of Baal. Amen. And David took on Goliath and never called him a giant. Amen. But an uncircumcised Philistine. Three Hebrew children faced the flames without fear. Paul suffered the loss of all things. Not everybody's going to accept this life view. The remedy for the malaise of distraction. Amen. Not everybody's going to have it. But I want to say it once again just for those who will hear me. There is a mighty revival coming for those who will not be distracted. There is a great influx of hungry souls and they're going to need somebody here that's got their mind made up and their spirits focused. There is a great victory for those who refuse distraction in this day. There is a great peace, serenity, comfort and consolation for those who will not be denied. Our children, our grandchildren, future generations are counting on us to bring them the knowledge and the relationship with God. The God of peace, the God of salvation, the God of eternity, King Jesus. Jesus.